Maybe we should reveal a big secret of Helen's every week. <laughs> Until she comes back. Until she comes back, yeah. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries. And we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Scattered. We're looking at Genesis 47 to 48 this week. I think we'll look at 47 first and then go on to 48 in a bit. Last week, we saw Jacob finally being reunited with his beloved Joseph. And after taking some time to meet with God at Beersheba, the family of Israel are on their way to Egypt. And Joseph has made sure that there is good land and provision for them there. So what's the story in our chapter this week, guys? Joseph takes, first of all, his brothers to meet Pharaoh. And then Jacob goes in to meet Pharaoh and um, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Then there's a whole section about Joseph and how he manages the famine in Egypt. So I don't think we're supposed to forget that even though they're in Egypt, there's still a lot of trouble. And so he has some unusual strategies and... um, yeah, manages to help people survive. And the people of Egypt are really grateful to him. And then right at the end of the chapter, we're about to face the death of Jacob. So yeah, Jacob um, makes Joseph promise to take him back to Canaan when he dies and bury him in the promised land. Yeah, you've got Joseph bringing his brothers to meet Pharaoh, haven't you? And then he brings his dad, right? So that's uh, from verse seven. What did you guys think was significant about Pharaoh and Jacob's meeting? Yeah, so at the start and at the end of Jacob's meeting with Pharaoh, he blesses him, doesn't he, in verses 7 and 10. Yeah, it's really interesting because normally um, a superior would bless someone that's inferior to them. And, you know, on a surface level, you'd think that, it's pretty obvious that Pharaoh is a superior because he's got all the riches of Egypt. He's got so much power, yet it's actually Jacob that is the one to bless Pharaoh. Yeah, it's challenging, isn't it? Because I guess it's showing that actually because Jacob is a child of the promise and in God's people, that is way more important, isn't it? And way more powerful and way more worthy of blessing than everything this world has to offer. And it, um, even though we know that spiritually, it's shocking, isn't it? When you see it written like this. Yeah, because I guess I saw the contrast as well with the brothers. There's a, ver- there's a real sense when they meet Pharaoh that they're the immigrants, you know, they are inferior to Pharaoh. And yet when Jacob comes in, there's this real sense of um, God's blessings with him, isn't it? And he's sharing that. Um, yeah it challenged me about actually we have something more precious don't we than um, lots of things that are popular or deemed desirable in this world yeah Mm. like we do kind of put without realizing I think it we do put ourselves in positions of you know I'm inferior to this person I'm superior to this person but yeah with God there's there's no superior and inferior are there like we can bless whoever he puts in our path what else does Jacob say that did you did you guys find anything else that he said interesting or challenging yeah I found his sort of summary of his life quite um glass half empty basically just disappointment and regret it felt like um 
the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 so he's old but few and I'm like that's not few that's 130 Jacob um, <laughs> and evil have been the days of the years of my life so I, I guess probably like lots of his life was like that wasn't it and so it's quite a sober reflection, isn't it, on the, the sadness of his of much of his life? Yeah, like it's almost like he feels inferior to his like fathers. He says, doesn't he? They do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. To be honest, 130 years in those days, I thought that wasn't very long. Wasn't Abraham 100 when he had his first child? I think it, I, I was just struck by how, you know, how he describes his life as so bitter or like so evil and few yet he still recognizes that he's got um um blessings from god that he can impart to pharaoh that he still Mm -hmm. you know is able to bless pharaoh despite you know having so much hardship Mm. i do get this sense with jacob though that there is a separation between who he is and what his life has been like so you know, he is the blessed one, isn't he? He is the one who's received these promises. Um, and that's almost needs to be separate, doesn't it, from his experiences in his life, because God's God's chosen him. And that's that. Like, I find it encouraging that, you know, our lives can be super messy and involve lots of difficult things. But God can work through that. And if he's, you know, when he's chosen you, he will What's that Bible verse? He who's begun a good work and you will bring it to completion. That one? That one. Yeah, it's just that sense, isn't it, that God has begun a good thing in Jacob and he will complete it, whatever happens in the middle bit. And I find that encouraging. I feel like at points in my life, I've been very Jacoby, um, and yet I can trust that God will work in that and bring me through that. How does his view of life, like he says, doesn't he, he calls his life a sojourning, like the literal meaning of sojourning is to stay temporarily somewhere. How does that challenge and encourage you guys? Yeah, I guess it's it's a helpful reminder, isn't it, not to bed down too securely and firmly in this world, because we are on a journey to heaven ultimately. And yeah, Jacob was moving around his whole life, wasn't he? And yeah, didn't get the things he wanted, didn't get the wife he wanted, didn't have the son he wanted near him for such a long time. And yet, yeah, I guess it's helpful, isn't it, for us to keep remembering that this world's not the end point and not the goal and God's at work changing us and preparing us for heaven through all those trials that he brings into our lives now. Yeah, and I think we want to, we want to hold on to things, don't we? And we want to put roots down. And I guess it's like a question of where we put our hope in, where we put our roots down, like whether we want to put our roots down looking towards the eternal kingdom or whether we're just wanting to put down our roots here and now. And I think it's so easy just to forget and cling on to things that we have here and want to build a home here thinking, you know, it'll last until I die but (laughs) we're not thinking like actually there's something far greater beyond that we can hold on to I think that's a real challenge I think we find it hard wanting to put our roots down because you know we think oh it's better for children if they have stable roots it's better for families it's better for um yeah like us 
with our extended family for us to all be together. But actually, it's when you remember that actually, no, we have this place that's even better, that can exceed, you know, all sense of at-homeness prepared for us, that you can gradually release those things a little bit and not hold onto them so tightly. Yeah, that's it's really challenging. Yeah. The next bit where Jacob, so Joseph settles his father and brothers in Egypt, gives them property. What did you make of the way that Joseph manages the famine? Because obviously, I don't know how many years we're into it, maybe two or three years into it. The people's money starts running out. And so he buys their livestock and then their livestock runs out and he basically buys the people and their land in, in exchange of food, kind of putting in them in this kind of bondage to Pharaoh, in which every year they have to give a fifth of their produce to Pharaoh. What did you guys make of all of this? I think the mo- our modern mindset really finds it offensive, doesn't it? And it's like, what? It's slavery. Joseph, what are you doing? But I guess I was struck by it. the people are super grateful to him, aren't they? Because he's feeding them. And one of the things I read on it was saying, actually, the risk now um, is with Pharaoh in that Pharaoh is responsible now to provide for them. And it's a hard time. There's famine everywhere. And so actually part of the reason for their gratefulness is they don't feel like you've taken everything from us, but that Pharaoh's taken on the role of provider for them. And in a situation of famine like this, that's a blessing to people because Pharaoh is promising in that sort of arrangement that they're making to be the provider and to provide them with food. And so Mm. um, there's a sense in which he is Pharaoh's taking on the hardest thing. Does that make Mm. sense? Mm. Yeah. And I think that you can also see the people responding, saying, like, why should we die now? Because our money's gone. Why should we die now? Because our livestock's gone in verses 15 and 19 and they're not wanting to die (laughs) I think that's the situation isn't it they're gonna die if they don't have food and um so actually Joseph Joseph's wisdom in stewarding all of this has been a source of life for everyone without Joseph there putting these different things into place um yeah everyone would have died otherwise um yeah yeah and it's not like a handout is it it's and but it's not super unkind either is it I mean they get to keep four-fifths of the um their produce to you know grow the seed the next to grow the crop the next year um and one-fifth is going it's not like he said okay we'll give you know four-fifths of it to pharaoh and you can have enough to eat it feels like he's trying to be fair without giving them everything that they need in a kind of handout, patronising kind of way. I don't know. And the, the commentary I was reading was saying, actually, th- this sort of model is very similar to the one that God rolls out once they are in Canaan and are being um, working out their agriculture through God's rules. It's just that there's a year of jubilee that then God brings in and so that everything then is restored to its original owner in the year of jubilee. And so mm. Pharaoh doesn't do that. Pharaoh's not that generous. But that uh, these sort of, yeah, some of these patterns are ones that are used and are um, mandated by God exactly for that reason, because people are taking responsibility 
and our yeah it's not a, it's not a free handout system but it's a mm. let's give people some dignity and some um a contribution to society yeah yeah definitely so after that bit is kind of gone into detail kind of by t- verse 28 again we're back to Jacob and Joseph and actually that kind of goes into f- chapter 48 as well again they meet so I want to talk a bit about Jacob and his character and his theology kind of towards the end of his life so she could one of you summarize chapter 48 and what happens there and then we'll kind of discuss the end of 47 and 48 together so Jacob first he starts by recounting the blessings of God to him um and then from that he considers the future of all his children and the whole nation of Israel but actually within that Joseph's sons are adopted by him to receive blessings alongside their uncles Jacob's such an interesting character isn't he I mean some of the stuff he says here at the end of 28 where he meets with Joseph and um, makes him swear that he will bury him in Canaan or to take his bones to Canaan and then some of the stuff that happens in chapter 48 talk to me about his his theology and his relationship with God and with Joseph what's what's going on here I guess I read the bit at the end of chapter 47 as him almost wanting to remind his own heart that his hope isn't in Egypt and you know, Canaan is the place of God's promise. And so it's like a symbol, isn't it, that he wants to be buried there to say, that's where my hope's found, that's where my faith lies, not in this temporary sojourn in Egypt, despite Mm. the fact that we're doing really well here and, you know, Joseph's the main man. Yeah, I just thought that was a very, Lord, keep my heart trusting that your, um, your promises are the main deal. And so I want to go back to that place of, promise in Canaan yeah because he probably never imagined that he would not be buried in Canaan after everything so yeah yeah you're right it kind of roots him to where he's come from um even though you know I doubt that he thought it was important exactly where he was buried in the sense of that it meant that he was any less or more saved or you know part of God's promise or anything like that but just that it meant a lot to him yeah that's yeah, it's like that was the place of his hope, wasn't it, really? Mm. I was really encouraged by the end of 47 in verse 31, where he makes Joseph swear. Um, that's the whole, like, putting your hand under the thigh thing. I mean, we don't really do that these days, right? Um, Helen does. She really likes that sort of thing. Helen, we do miss you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure right now she would be talking at length about what it means and its significance. <laughs> Instead, we're just slandering her. <laughs> um, and then, so <clears throat> so Joseph, you know, swears to him. And then Israel worshipped as he leans. So in the NIV, it says, as he leaned on the top of his staff. Is that what it says in the ESV? On his bed, it says, in mine. What's it say? As he bowed himself on, on the, the head of his bed. Hmm, interesting. That's quite different. But there's this idea, isn't it, that he loves God, like he's worshipping God in his old age. He's drawing to the end of his life and like maybe not all of his life was, you know, necessarily this place of trust and worship and dependence. But it feel I don't know about you guys, but it feels to me that there's a 
change in Jacob at this point? Well, I, yeah, yeah, I agree, more... Mary, because he's, there's been 17 years, hasn't there, since he arrived in Egypt to when he dies. And I thought his words of blessing on Joseph's sons are, are quite different to the way he speaks to Pharaoh even 17 years earlier, where he, you know, mm. to Pharaoh it's about regret and the evil that his life has been. Whereas here in this chapter, you know, the God who has been a shepherd all my life, the angel who's redeemed me from evil. It, and as it feels like there's definitely been some redemption in those 17 years where he's been in Egypt with nearby, near Joseph, hasn't there? Or yeah, that's the way I read it, that there's definitely a change in the way he speaks about the Lord and about his life. He is putting his faith more on um, what God was wanting him to do and what how God was um, I guess prompting him in his blessings to the sons as well as um, just putting his hope on future um, future promises that that's so different from what he was relying on before I, I found it interesting how there's a lot of um, in chapter 48 there's a lot of um, when Israel saw or when um Jacob's eyes are dim and he couldn't see clearly and um and at this point his eyes are dim but it's like his spiritual eyes are completely open and he's so receptive to God's um leading and even so that you know there's a point where when he gets his hands wrong or not he doesn't get them wrong, but he purposefully um, puts his right hand on um, Joseph's younger son. Um, and Joseph sees this and he it's written that he sees this and he didn't like it. But actually, yeah, it's just this parallel between, you know, are we actually seeing with spiritual eyes or are we just seeing with our physical eyes? What are we looking to, I guess? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, what happens in chapter 48 with this blessing and kind of adoption of Joseph's sons. What What is going on there? Um, you know, what is the significance of these two boys as well? Is it Ephraim and Manasseh? I guess one thing to note is that um, it's interesting that he doesn't bless Joseph, but instead, instead he blesses his sons. And um, the significance of that is... He's almost, he's bringing Joseph up to his own level and making him almost an equal in that both of them are fathers of the tribes of Israel. Again, this like um, idea of the superior blessing the inferior kind of, he's passing on the blessing and he's almost brought Joseph up to another level. And I think it's interesting because this purposeful swapping of the hands is very um reminiscent of what happens I guess with him and his own mm. brother Esau and it doesn't really I don't think the passage makes a comment on you know it doesn't say anything negative about this but so I guess we trust because this is a blessing that um he's had God's leading in doing it mm. and I guess it's just a pattern isn't it so many times in Genesis the younger child gets the blessing, like Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, here again. And 
yeah, I just wonder if that's something about God's kingdom where humility is prized and, you know, the, yeah, the, the world esteems the firstborn or the most powerful or the, the, the cleverest or the most blessed, whereas in God's economy, that's turned on its head and God loves to um, raise the humble. Yeah, it reminded me of the choosing of King David um, when all the brothers are brought out one by one and then eventually like they're like, oh yeah, there's this little squirt out in the fields doing, you know, being a shepherd and it's him that's going to become this wonderful king. It's kind of the upside down nature of God's kingdom, isn't it? He chooses the weak and the poor and the unlikely to be his children. Like we can't, I mean, he chose me, so... <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm a squirt. Um, <laughs> Mary loves the youngest. Anything about the youngest, Mary's there. <laughs> there <for> it. <laughs> I just wondered, you know, we were talking about how his, vis- his spiritual vision is a lot sharper than it has been before. And do you think that is something about as we approach death that actually, you know, I think we dread that, don't we? But I have mm. a couple of examples of like testimonies where. God's so kind to us in that moment of frailty and vulnerability and actually makes really clear to us the future and the spiritual things are so much more clear because this world is passing away for, you know, for the person dying really imminently. And so I wonder if there's something about as we approach death, it helps us see what's important and it helps us see more clearly spiritually than we do when we're so distracted by the frenetic busyness of this world yeah I I find it challenging that we you know as young I put that in inverted commas as young people we don't really think that much about death do we but maybe you know it sounds kind of morbid doesn't it to be like we should think about death more but Actually, the you know, watching Jacob get ready to die and the way that he, yeah, you're right, just his faith becomes so beautiful as he gets older. Like, is that not something that we can do earlier in our lives? Like, contemplate eternity more, contemplate heaven more. Um, it does kind of strip away some of the, I don't know, the sheen of the world, doesn't it? When you think, because some people, you know, they face death young, don't they? And we don't know tomorrow we might die so should we all not be thinking a bit more deeply about these things and I don't know I just found it challenging I don't want to go all morbid but yeah I guess the challenge for me is it makes I, I just think oh actually that's going to be a really precious time of life isn't it then whenever that comes whether that's tomorrow or whether that's um in 50 years time that whole uh, uh, allowing this world to slip away from us is um it's helpful, isn't it, to focus our hearts on eternity? For lots of people, they don't know that that moment's coming. Do you know what I mean? Like Jacob knew he was getting old, he was feeling old, he was going blind, stuff like that. But for lots of us, like we don't know that it's coming tomorrow. So is there not a sense in which we should be more ready for it now? I don't know. Like I was how just. Do you think, how do we do that, Mary? Just seek Jesus more. I don't know look for him more draw near to him more I get you know like when you talk to non-Christians and there's almost this sense that 
I will think about these things when I get old because I am young now and I'm fine. But actually, like, yeah, life is so fragile, isn't it? And I think I think there's that challenge, isn't there? That, you know, life is fragile for us and we know our hope is secured, isn't it? We know where we're going. And um, I guess the challenge for us is, you know, who we are, how are we planting, sowing seeds around us to those who don't know the living God? And how are we, yeah, on a daily basis, um, trying to um, incorporate words of life into other people's lives. I, I think I've been really challenged by this this week, um, how to turn conversations from like just general chat to more meaningful conversations and then from more meaningful conversations to actually spiritual conversations and um, conversations that can lead us to the gospel. And um, yeah. I wouldn't want to go so far as to say, you know, Jacob wasted lots of his life. I think that would be really judgmental. And we don't know lots of the stuff, like his whole story isn't in here. But there is a sense, isn't there, that he did have a big, like, change towards the end. So you kind of think, like, yeah, if he had maybe had these kind, this kind of really deep and close, you know, relationship with God and this kind of theology earlier in his life, would it have affected his children more? Um, would it have affected therefore their actions? I don't know. Like, I think it's easy, isn't it, to look back and be like, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. But um, yeah, I think we just, we just really need to seek Jesus now and not put it off. Like not feel like, Oh, I've got time to be very holy and, read all these books when I'm old but like really seek him hard now um because we don't know that we're going to get old on a on a really practical level for Jacob these last 17 years were the years where he was living close to Joseph and if Joseph's the Jesus figure in the story then that is a beautiful picture for us isn't it of the blessing that comes when we live close to the savior and so what you know circumstantially that was brilliant for Jacob in his last 17 years and was probably part of God's restoration in his heart but yeah we have that opportunity every day don't we to live close to Jesus and Mm. make sure that we're walking closely with him Um, and it just points to God's faithfulness doesn't it and his goodness like you've got Jacob here kind of prophesying over his grandchildren Um, God is revealing things to him about the future of Ephraim and Manasseh and I mean um, Ephraim is going to like the things that he says about Ephraim do come true and Ephraim does become this really important tribe um, and Ephraim and Manasseh become one of the tribes of Israel and it's it's really amazing that that has come from Jacob's mouth from God but isn't God gracious to use us and change us and grow us um even when at points in our lives maybe we have become bitter and have struggled to worship him um because of how difficult life is so heart level i mean already we've kind of been talking heart level but was there anything else that struck you in these two chapters i mean at the end it looks like jacob's about to die and and next week we're going to look at him his blessing of his um sons um which looks really interesting on a side note. <laughs> Good luck with that one, whoever's leading that. Um, <laughs> but um, 
yeah did anything else strike you in these two chapters um that was challenging or no i i think my takeaway was what does it look like jill this week to live close to jesus you know that's that's Mm. the thing i'm going to be wrestling through this week and yeah because it, it is encouraging to see that that it does make a difference doesn't it we can choose mm. to live close to the savior or we can choose to just give it a like a casual ascent and not um you know not draw our hearts to him mm. i was challenged as i read this chapter that the way that god we talked about this a bit before but the way that god seems to bless some people more than others okay so in the sense that you know, very clearly here, you've got Ephraim and Manasseh. And, you know, he switches that blessing in verse 19. He says, I know, my son, I know he too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. Um, And you see that, like Jill said, with Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Ishmael, like God does seem to do that. Um, And I was reading in Romans chapter 11 in my quiet time this morning before I was studying this passage. In Romans chapter 12, it says in verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Um, And I just, I think you get this feeling in the Bible, don't you? That God gives different gifts to different people. I mean, this passage goes on to say that. Um, And I feel like, oh no, we should all be equal. But I think God does that. And I think there's this this acceptance of that, you know, with what happens with Ephraim and Manasseh. And I don't know, I I don't know about you, but I really push against that. But he's God, isn't he? Along those lines, I was also struck by how we have so much to be able to bless others. Um, the whole, you know, when we were thinking about Jacob even being superior to Pharaoh. Yeah, in some ways we might feel like, oh, I can't talk to the stranger about Jesus because, you know, <laughs> they all think I'm weird or whatever. But actually, you know, we've been given so much blessing and yeah, we don't need to hold back, <laughs> but we can bless everyone. And we might think, oh, no, this person's more likely to receive the blessing than that person but who are we to say Mm. who's more likely to take it on you know we can see in Jacob's life how messy it seems you know we we might think oh no he'd be such an unlikely person to to be blessed by God but he's so richly blessed by God and Mm. he knows that I've been challenged to think not think like oh this person's been really nice to me I'll bless them you know or but actually just thinking about how you can be intentional about um, blessing different people we meet. Yeah, because, you know, none of the gifts that God gives us, for example, are better than others, even though we kind of look at the person preaching at the front on a Sunday and think, I wish I could do that. Or you, you watch the person who's, I don't know, prophesying or if your friend speaks in tongues or something like that. And you, it's easy, isn't it, to think like, and I do. I'm like, why, why haven't you given that to me? Um, and yet God God gives us different gifts for a reason and, and gives us, you know, different faith in different circumstances for different reasons. And he's sovereign and we can trust him with that. Um, you know, you look at Jacob's life and he looks so weak at the end, doesn't he? But actually at the end of his life, he's at his strongest, isn't he? 
Um, so even, you know, if you get super ill with something or something happens in your life that's just awful and you're really struggling, and yet that might be the point in your life at which God is like, right, let's go. I'm going to do this incredible thing through you. I found that really encouraging this week. Um, mm. Great. So I'm looking forward to studying 49 and 50 next week. And then we've come to the end of the life of Joseph. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.